Well, good morning, church. Hope you had a good Christmas and looking forward to a new year. And I feel like I may have to introduce myself uh, to you because I'm never in this <laughs> service. I'm Alan Folsom. I'm your adult uh, pastor. I'm usually in the 930 uh, classic uh, worship. And so uh, just have a great uh, adult ministry team I work with here and the prayer ministry team and all the ministry, adult ministry uh, leaders. And if you need uh, assistance or help in, in growing in your faith, finding a life group, uh, we're doing a life course that we're hopefully going to start uh, mid-January uh, or there's a place that you want to serve, you feel led to serve or start a ministry. Uh, we want to help you uh, with that, get you connected and, uh, and equip you to serve and to minister uh, here in this place. And so uh, that is a, it's a joy to be with you on staff uh, here at Burnt Hickory as an adult pastor. I want to thank Pastor Matt. Uh, for giving me the opportunity to share from God's Word uh, this morning and to share uh, with you. And I tell you what, uh, 2020, what a year, huh? I mean, it's been, a, uh, it's been ups and downs, but it's going to be known as the year of COVID, uh, I imagine. And so what we're going to look at this morning through God's Word is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and try to answer the question, why trust God? Why should we trust uh, God, so Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So 2020, have you trusted God this year, or have you tried to lean on your understanding or just try to figure out what is going on, what is happening? Or the, another question, what have you struggled with the most? 2020, year of COVID, what have you struggled with the most? Have you struggled with your faith? Have you struggled with grasping what's going on? Why is this happening? What are we supposed to do? What's going to be next? You know, is 2021 going to be better or worse? We hope it's going to be better. But what have you learned? Have you grown? Have you trusted God? Or have you tried to figure out what's going on yourself and, and become frustrated? I know several of you here, you, you experienced loss of loved ones uh, from death. Several of you now have loved ones in the hospital uh, with COVID. You've experienced a tragic loss of family uh, members in accidents. I know the, the suicide levels uh, in America have gone off the charts this year. Uh, loneliness has increased uh, so much. Mental health issues have become uh, another pandemic uh, within the selves. And so just so much going on, parents with education and schools being virtual or not, when to do that, how to homeschool, that type of thing. You're stressed out, wanting to know how to, how, how to do that. And just all kinds of these extra stressors and just from, from life experience that's thrown at you, at us. Have you trusted, have you trusted God? And then the election, the political season, my goodness, we're probably most divided as a nation that we've uh, ever been uh, on this and you've got your opinions and you've got those that you support and probably, you know, split uh, in this room. But I mean, it's just, it's just crazy uh, on that. But there is good news. Marty uh, shared, if you were here for Christmas Eve service in the welcome, there was a recent uh, survey that was done that, uh, that at least uh, from church going folks, maybe not Christian, but those that attend church, uh, 26, over, over a quarter of them said that their faith, their trust has increased this year as a result of COVID and everything that's going on. 26% said only 2% said that their, you know, their uh, trust had, had decreased 
uh, in God. But there was another survey done probably, I think it was in September, that said that uh, 56% of Americans, and no, no religious affiliates, just, just Americans, 56% believe that Jesus was just a great teacher, nothing more. That he wasn't the son of God, that he wasn't the Messiah, just that he was a, just another great teacher. So the majority of, Christ, the majority of Americans don't have that view of Jesus that the scripture does, that, that truth uh, tells us. And so we're in, a, we're in a difficult time. It's been a difficult, it's been a difficult uh, year. And, and we interpret this, what's happening, we interpret this by our perspective. We have a certain perspective of why this has happened or understanding of why this has happened. And, and we have different perspectives uh, on things. Just an example of perspective based on my own family uh, my young, I've got three children, uh, Luke and, and uh, Kelly and Curtis. Uh, Curtis is my youngest. He's a senior at the University of Georgia uh, this year, graduates in May. But way back, so every year before he even started school, he was starting kindergarten. Uh, my wife, Paula, took him to the pediatrician for his you know, exam to be certified to go to public uh, education. And so Dr. Levitt, the pediatrician, um, you know, knew, you know, his older siblings, you know, Kelly and, and Cur- I mean, Curtis and uh, Ke- Luke and Kelly had been there before with him. And so Dr. Levitt had, had been their pediatrician. And so Dr. Levitt's goal, he just wanted to see where he was with conversation skills, his vocabulary, how he could talk or interact uh, with people. And, and Curtis was just there. He didn't know why he was there. <laughs> he, he just wanted to uh, get it over with. And so Dr. Levitt's perspective, you know, he, he was just trying to get uh, Curtis to engage in conversation, answer questions, see how he could communicate and grasp that type uh, of thing. So uh, Dr. Levitt, just to get him to talk, get him to talk, started asking questions about, I understand you're going to kindergarten. And Curtis says, uh-huh. He said, well, Curtis, he said, did your uh, brother and sister ride the bus when they went to kindergarten? And he said, uh-huh. He said, so you, you're going to get on the red bus when it comes to pick you up to go to kindergarten? And Said Curtis just sort of looked at him with a uh, what you talking about Willis type look and he said, uh-huh. Uh huh. And so they, you know, he's trying to get him to talk and he, he was not going to tell the doctor what, you know, that the doctor was wrong, that the bus is yellow. He wasn't going to tell him uh, that. And so he was trying to talk. And so the doctor was just trying to get him to talk and he said, okay, Curtis, well, I so hope, hope kindergarten goes good. And when you get on that red bus to go to kindergarten. And so he left and Paula was getting him you know, getting his clothes back on or whatever. And, and Paul said, well, why didn't you tell the doctor you knew what color the bus was? And he looks at his mom and said, well, he thinks the bus is red. <laughs> said, man, this doctor's an idiot. <laughs> he thinks the bus is red. He knew it was yellow, but he wasn't going to correct the doctor. So his perception, Curtis's perception was the doctor was wrong, but he had respect for the, the doctor. He wasn't going to correct him. And, uh, and, and Dr. Levitt's perception of this, this kid doesn't want to talk. You know, he was just trying to get him, uh, to talk. So, but the way that you look, you may look at some things, you may think, well, well, the bus is yellow, but you might be talking with somebody and they'll, they'll tell you up and down that, Hey, the bus is red. I know the bus is red. You know, and y'all are going to disagree, but that's their perception. What's that perception based on? So how you interpret, how you interpret what's going on in life, the events of the day, the tragedies of the day, the, the good things of the day, how you 
interpret things, we're to interpret things through the lens of Scripture, have a biblical worldview. If we don't have a biblical worldview, we're not going to look at things through the lens of Scripture. And so this verse today, truth, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. Looking at life through that lens of that verse right there of how to trust God. But then you say, well, you know, in considering 2020 or 2021 uh, coming up, why should I trust God? Why should I trust God? Francis Chan in his book, Crazy Love, uh, he says this, he says, we say things like I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me or I'll trust in the Lord with all your heart. But he says, then we live and plan like we don't even believe God exists. We try to set our lives up so everything will be fine, even if God doesn't come through. But true faith means holding nothing back. It means putting every hope in God's fidelity to his promise. Putting hope in God's fidelity, his faithfulness to keeping his promise. So the key thing I want you to remember today from this verse is trusting in God, is trusting in the power of God to be able to do what God says he will do. Trusting in God is trusting in the power of God to be able to do what God says that he will do. Because he is faithful, he is just, and he is true. And in your outline, if you're taking notes, and they'll be on the screen, there's four, four reasons why we can trust God. The first one is his word is trustworthy. His word is trustworthy. His Bible, the Bible that we have, the word of God is trustworthy. Jesus is the word. John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. The word was Jesus. And so the word is trustworthy. Titus 1.9 says uh, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And in 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So his word is trustworthy. The printed word, the word of God, our scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. It's inerrant, it's infallible, it's trustworthy. It's the truth that we can believe in because it's God's word. The second one is his nature. His nature is faithful and true. God's nature is faithful and and true. And I'll challenge you to do a study uh, this year. Look at, uh, study all of God's attributes, what his character is, the attributes of God. Study the names of God that are based on his attributes. And uh, that lets you know who God is, who Jesus is, and what their character is, and what his nature, and that they are faithful. He's faithful to his word, he's faithful to his promise, and God's word is truth. God's word is truth. You can bank on that. You can, you can trust that God's word is the truth. Society doesn't. There's no absolute truth in our culture today. The word of God doesn't mean much in our, in our country, even though our motto is in God we trust. We don't. And so, but God is faithful and true. The third one, his plans are perfect and purposeful. God has a plan for you and me. God has a plan. You may not know what it is or you may not 
even want to know what it is, but God has a plan for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil and to give you a future and a hope. God knows the plans he has for us with a future that are not their plans for our welfare, for the good and not for evil and to give you a future and a hope. So are you trusting God with your future? Are you trusting God with your present? And then the fourth one, his promises are kept. God is faithful concerning his word. He's faithful concerning his promises. All the promises in scripture, he's faithful to those. Uh, three passages here I want to read uh, to you. Second Peter 3, 9 is the main one. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that you should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And then Joshua 21, 45 says, not one of the good promises from the Lord had, had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. Not one word that God had given and promised the people of Israel, not one of them failed. All of them came to pass. Same with his word, the Old Testament, New Testament. Every promise he made has been kept. He's been faithful and true to those. His promises are kept. And you know, another reason, the main reason why we can trust God is because of what we've just experienced and celebrated as Christians. We've celebrated Christmas. We've celebrated Christmas. We celebrated Emmanuel, God with us. We've, we've, we've celebrated Jesus as, as uh, the birth of a savior, light of the world, the bright and morning star, the hope of glory, the prince of peace, a wonderful counselor, the mighty God and the everlasting father. And we've experienced him, we've worshiped him as Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew. One twenty-three says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Jesus was the promised Messiah. All of those prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah have come true. I just want to share with you some probabilities and some statistics with you. Some of you might like that. Some of you are nerdy like that. And some of you say, well, you know, I don't, I don't care about that kind of, but it's sort of profound on the statistics or the probability of one person as Jesus fulfilling all of those biblical prom, uh, prophecies about Jesus being the Messiah. And, uh, and I won't go through all of this with you that I uh, intend to, I'll just give you the basics. But uh, Dr. Peter, Stone, uh, Peter Stoner's work, Science Speaks, uh, shows how these prophecies are quantifiable. Stoner calculates the odds of one man filling just eight of the of 48 prophecies specifically about Jesus. The probability of just one man fulfilling those Old Testament prophecies is one in 100 million billion. That's so, I mean, that's sort of incomprehensible. You can't grasp that number, that's 10 to the 17th power, or 10, 10 with 17 zeros behind it. That's the probability of one man fulfilling just eight of those prophecies. He found that, uh, he found that uh, that would be an example if uh, Dr. Lois Lapides, he gave the example, if you took that many, one in 100 million billion, 
You take that many silver dollars. Yeah, there are silver dollars. I don't know if you got any. Now, but you take those silver dollars, they would fill the state of Texas two feet. That many, 100 million billion would fill it up two feet. And, you, and the chances of one person, you take one of those silver dollars and mark it and just throw it randomly, drop it randomly in the state. And then you get a guy and blindfold him and he wanders randomly across the state and bending down and picking up that one that one silver dollar, that's the chances of one in 100 million billion that that would, that that would happen. It's, it's, it's mind uh, blowing. But he goes on to say, and for uh, fulfilling uh, 48 prophecies instead of eight, that he found that the one chance to in 10 to the 157th power, the power of 110 with 157 zeros uh, around it, uh, and so that, you know, pretty much Emil Borrell's single law of chance says that 10 to the 50th power, if something is beyond that, you can say with great confidence that the event will never happen at random. And so in scripture, all 48 prophecies that they studied, however, fulfilled in one man, uh, Jesus. So in response to that, the Institute for Christian Defense says, says this about the probability and the fact that Jesus was Messiah. He says, the fact that Jesus is Messiah is not just a clever guess, nor could Jesus have been an imposter who carefully arranged the fulfillment of all the messianic prophecies. To reject Jesus as Messiah requires an unbelief which runs counter to the laws of probability. So the unbelief, to not believe that, runs against the odds of probability. And so do you believe? Are you a believer? Uh, in that. So the scriptures are reliable because Jesus fulfilled that promise and we can, and we can trust God because of that fulfillment in Emmanuel, God with us. So I'm going to use an acrostic, the points for looking at examining Proverbs three, five, and six using trust. The main word there, trust as an acrostic and four, five uh, items there. But another reason before we get into that, another reason we can trust God is we're commanded we're commanded to trust God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, the trust in the Lord is a command. Grammatically, it's, it's a command. It's an imperative uh, that makes a, a, the verbs, imperative verbs or commands or orders that then make the sentence an imperative. Okay, this in sense makes this verse a command or an order. So are we, are we command, you know, the great commission is a commandment. The great commandment. Is a, command, uh, is a commandment. And Jesus says in the Great Commission, uh, we're to teach, teach them to obey everything that I've taught. And so we're, we're to obey commands. So trust in the Lord is a command in Scripture. Uh, Jerry Bridges in his book, Trust in God, he says it often seems more difficult to trust God than to obey Him. It's more difficult to trust God than to obey Him. Can you obey God's word without trusting in God? I mean, if you, you can be legalistic, the Pharisees and Old, Old Testament, New Testament, they were legalistic. I mean, they had, you know, they expanded the, the Ten Commandments to 700 and something commandments that they had to, and they were, you know, strict on, on following and on obeying those laws and those commandments, but they did not trust in Jesus as Messiah. They were more legalist. So you can, you know, it's, so it's harder to trust in God than to obey him. So we're going to look at how to trust, 
how to trust God, why we can trust God, how to trust God using this verse. The T in trust, the first one is, is trust in the Lord, using the word trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Wholeheartedly trust God with everything that you have, everything that you are. Trust means here, in one sense, to enter into a deep personal relationship with God based upon complete surrender and submission. We trust him completely. We give ourselves. We're wide open. Say, Lord, take us, use us, guide us, protect us. You're, you're made vulnerable in a love relationship with God. The Hebrew word for trust is batach, B-A-T-A-C-H. It appears in the Hebrew Bible 158 times across 152 verses. So trust is used a lot uh, in the Old Testament. Greek word is a little bit different, and I'll share that uh, toward the end in the New Testament, the word for trust is more believe, which leads uh, to trust. But it, it appears uh, in, in Scripture, it's a bold, confident, sure security of action based on that security. The word for trust in Hebrew, it, it means to be sure about something, to be confident about that something, and to hope in that something. So our confidence, we're, we're sure about God, we're confident in God, and our hope is in God. Another example, one of my children with, with trust, Luke, my oldest, who's the father of my grandkids now. And I know fathers, you do this, mothers, you probably do it too when the kids are coming up. You get them to jump to you off the stairs or off a stool or something just to develop that trust and to see how long it takes them to jump to you. And so I've done that with all of my kids. You know, they get up on the steps and they're hesitant and then they finally, they'll jump and you catch them and they want to do it again. They go up another step and they want to do it again. And so they, you build that trust and they want to, it's a, it's a game, but they know you're going to trust them. I hadn't dropped them yet, but you know, that <laughs> they know, they know you trust them. Uh, on that. And one example with Luke, my oldest, uh, he's got the three grandchildren uh, that we have. When he was about five, my oldest grandson's five now, so he's about his age. We were at a church function at, at somebody's house, and I was just standing around, you know, talking with some guys and uh, in, the, in the backyard of the home that we were at, and the kids were playing. Luke was playing with all these other uh, kids, and there was probably a six foot. Uh, landscape wall, you know, in the back and they were up on top of that playing and running and I was standing beside it talking to these guys and just all of a sudden I, I had my back turned and all of a sudden you know, I just get hit by a 50 pound bomb on my right side and it's, it's Luke, he just decided to hey, dad's there, I'm going to jump I'm on a wall, I'm going to jump, it was a blind jump, I didn't know, he didn't say hey dad I'm jumping, he just jumped and uh, luckily I called him, you know he landed on my arm so I was able to uh, grasp him up uh, pretty good. And so he had that blind faith trust that he, Hey, my dad's caught me. He hadn't dropped me yet. I'm going to jump. And so I, I said, I said, Luke, I said, you didn't, you didn't let me know where you're coming. He, he said, I know I just jumped. You're my dad. You caught me. And so no big deal. And I said, well, I'm just glad I called him. Had that he had that trust in me. And that's the way we are as children of God. We should be able, God, you know, uh, we, we should be able to trust in God with all the things in our lives and our tr the trust level should build up where when something comes up that's unknown, we don't know what's next, we can take that blind leap of faith. We can jump. We can take it because we trust that God is there and he's leading us in that next step. That's an example of trust, just to have trust in God that he's going to keep us safe, he's going to protect us, and that we can be sure about his 
his, uh, his love for us and that he's going to be there to protect us. He's be confident in God that he's going to catch us. He's going to love us. And our hope is built on that trust in God. And so Warren Wearsby, he defines this trust here, this uh, word in, in uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, to lie helpless face down. To lie helpless face down. It pictures a servant waiting for the master's command in readiness to obey or a defeated soldier yielding himself to the conquering general or surrender, an act of surrender. Higgins, he says that the, it, it means to stretch out or to lie face down. The picture of a man totally stretched out on his face before God. The message of his posture is his total helpless independence upon God, totally yielded to that will. And so that same word is used in Matthew 26, 39. It reminds us of the Lord Jesus that he said when, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus fell on his face, humbled before the father in prayer. And so that's the, that's the, that's the image of trust in the Lord with all your heart. You, you're yielding yourself, you're surrendering, you're yielding yourself for total trust in God. And Charles Spurgeon has said, I guess he's credited for this, he may not be, I think he is. We cannot always trace God's hand, but we can trust his heart. So we may not know what's going on, or we may not yield to what's going on, but we can trust God that he's gonna catch us, that he's gonna guide us, that he's gonna protect us. The second part of that verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart, with all your heart, not one chamber of it, not a little bit of it, but with all your heart. And you want to write this definition down. This is going to be profound. You want to remember this seminary student, brother, <laughs> all, listen, all means all. And that's all that all means. All means all, everything. That's all it means. Everything that we are, everything that we want to be, our desires, where we want, what we want to do with our lives, our goals, our personality, our attitudes, our opinions, our relationship with God, all of your heart. We're to trust God with all of our heart. Everything about us and within us, we trust God with all of our hearts. Scripture says a lot about things with all of our hearts in, in our faith. The great commandment in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. With all, everything. Joshua 22.5 says, take diligent heed to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And in Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 20, 12, 20 says, turn, out, turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. So we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart. We're to trust the Lord our God with all of our heart. We're to serve the Lord with all of our hearts. Trust the Lord with all your heart. The R is rely, rely fully, 
on God and not your own understanding. We're to rely on God. We're to rely here. You, you know the old acronym FROG, F-R-O-G, fully rely on God. Everything, we're, we're to depend, we're to lean, not on our understanding. And the word here for lean is K-M-A-K, or C-A-M-A-K, translated lean as the text of support oneself upon something, to place, put one's weight upon something. What are you putting your whole faith, your, your weight of everything that you're depending on? What are you doing? Are you depending on God? Are you depending on somebody else? Are you depending on another person? Are you depending on an institution? Are you depending on your own desires and your personality? What are you depending on? Are you depending on your pride and your self-sufficiency, which is sinful? What are you leaning on? So the first step is to, to avoid depending on our own comprehension, our own discernment, and our own insight. Because if we, if we try to trust our heart, you know, Jeremiah says our heart is deceitful, it's evil, it's dirty, it's stained. You know, we can't trust our hearts unless we've given it, unless we've given it to, uh, to the Lord. And so not depend on our own judgment. Often we think that we know what's best. Our decisions are clouded by the desires of our heart instead of trusting in God for what he has for our heart. The you uh, in trust is understanding based on his promises. We have understanding of who God is, how God is, where God is based on his promises. It says, do not lean, do not support on our own understanding or our own perception of what is going on. It translates, understanding means comprehension, discernment, and insight. We're to lean on the omnipotence of Almighty God, the omniscience of Almighty God. He is the Lord God Almighty. And we're to lean and understand on that, not on our own understanding. In Colossians 1, Paul prays for the church at Colossae that they'll have spiritual wisdom and understanding. Not personal wisdom and understanding, but spiritual wisdom and understanding. Philippians 4, 7 says, in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This does not mean to imply that there's nothing to be trusted in our common sense. We can't just depend, totally depend on our own personal common sense. Rather, we should bank all of on God for our, his wisdom and his ways. His ways are above ours and must be chosen when they seem to contradict our earthly human wisdom. His ways are not our ways. And so that's when we need to depend and trust and understand on God. Understanding and liking or accepting something are total, two do, totally different things. We may, we may not understand what God is doing, but we can trust God with that. We may not understand why something happens to us in our lives while we're getting a certain diagnosis or why somebody dies tragically or we lose somebody or, or somebody just walks away from faith and God, we don't understand it. But according to God's word and God's word, we might not understand God's word, but we're called and responsible to accept God's word as truth. Uh, in high school, 10th grade, taking chemistry, I did not understand chemistry. I don't know how I passed. But one, one day, just out of frustration, I didn't, I didn't get, I don't, I don't remember what Miss Sanders was teaching on, but one day I just told her, I said, Miss Sanders, I said, I just don't understand it. And she looked at me without any empathy or, or sympathy, and she said, you don't have to understand it, just accept it. 
And that helped me a whole lot. I didn't, <laughs> that didn't help me learn anything. But she said, just because, you know, and, and looking back on it, I understand what she was saying. Just because I didn't understand certain, the laws of chemistry or the laws of physics that were created by God, just because I don't understand why you mix sulfur with another chemical and there's going to be an explosion. Just because I don't understand that, it does not take away the truth of the reaction of that chemical law. And so when we don't understand things, that's when we have to trust. We have to accept and trust that God know what, knows what he's doing. God is God. He's in control. And we need to trust that, even when we don't understand what is going on. Charles Swindoll says, the secret to responsible trust is acceptance. Acceptance is taken from God's hand, absolutely anything he gives, looking into his face and trust and thanksgiving, knowing that the confinement of the hedge we're in is good for his glory. And so do not lean on our own understanding. And so the S in trust is surrender, surrender totally to God's will. Trust God totally and surrender. Remember that posture is surrender and submission to God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So we're to seek God wholeheartedly. And the Hebrew word for acknowledge got a lot of Hebrew in it. And you know, I didn't, I didn't take biblical languages in seminary. My dad asked my dad, it wasn't required. I said, I said, Daddy, do I need to take Greek and Hebrew? And he said, well, son, he was a pastor. He said, it depends on whether you want to be a digger or a toter. And I said, well, I'll be a toter. I'll just read <laughs> from the scholars and see what this means. But acknowledge, the, Greek, the Hebrew word for acknowledge is yada. I don't know if that's where the phrase yada, yada, yada comes from, but the, Greek, the Hebrew word is for acknowledge is yada. It's a word used to describe a deep, intimate, committed relationship between a husband and a wife or between man and God. His closeness with God is our traveling partner through life, one in whom we want to walk the journey with instead of without. We are we're called to acknowledge his lordship in our lives. He is our savior. He is our Lord. He's our Lord and master. Are we worshiping him as savior and Lord? So daily in all our ways, Luke 9, 23, if any man decides to come after me, he must what? Deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. So surrender our will, our issues, our goals and desires. The T, finally in trust, uh, is total trust in his direction. Total trust in his direction. So why, why to trust him? You know, uh, Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so a lamp and a light is not very bright. It's going to, as you're going... You know, you, you see what's in front of you, like a very low beam on the headlight. You see what's coming next, or you can react to it. It's not the high beams. You can't see way down the road or, or years down the road. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So God is our, our true north. He's a true compass. He will direct our paths uh, in that. You know, it's like, you know, how many of you trust in your GPS or your map on your phone? Do you, when it tells you to turn, do you always turn? 
So I don't know why it's telling me to go this way. I'm going to go this way. I don't know, you know, but the, nowadays, I mean, the GPS, especially what they can tell you when traffic's is backed up or accidents have happened and that gets you on this old path that you don't know where you are. And, you know, when we take a lot of times, we say, well, that, it doesn't know what it's talking about. I'm going to go this way anyway. And you get in traffic and, and that type of thing. So directions, God's direction, he says, I'll make your path straight. I'll let you see what the next step is. You're to be obedient and follow that next step. It's not a long journey. It's a journey by baby steps. You follow God with everything uh, that you are. Alexander the Great, back several hundred years uh, before Christ, uh, he, had, he had conquered the, the known world and he got to the Himalaya mountains and some of his leaders came to him and said, we've marched off the map. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know where we are. We've marched off the map. And the, he said, we should go back. They said, we should go back to where, what, what we know. We should be go, go back to what we've already conquered, what we've already done. We know where we are. And uh, it says that Alexander Great told him, Medi mediocre army, armies always stay within the known areas. The great armies always march off the map. And I think 2020, we've been off the map, hadn't we? We don't know where we are. We don't know what's happening, why it's happening. We have marched off the map. And when we march off the map, what are we to do? Trust God with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. So in conclusion, there's three things. They'll be up on the screen. They're in your outline if you're taking notes. Just, uh, just three statements for a conclusion. God is revealing me the wisdom of trusting completely in him and the foolishness of trusting in myself or leaning. Also, God is providing me with a physical, emotional, and mental and spiritual solution for dealing with life's toughest situations. And third, God is inviting me into a deeper, closer, more personal relationship with him. Have you trusted God? Have you trusted Christ in that personal relationship? Have you trusted God as Lord and Savior? Real quick, I want to show you a picture uh, there. This picture was taken by my sister-in-law, Glenda Long, back last January, January uh, the 20th. And then you can see it's an air writing. It says, trust Jesus on that. And on, she posted that on Facebook. She said, wow, what a great reminder in the sky as I'm traveling, traveling I-4 just now. January, Glenda was about a year post uh, breast cancer uh, treatments, uh, chemo and that type uh, thing. And in that January, she had gotten a clean uh, blood work, clean bill of health, uh, that type thing. And so she was doing good. She was reminded to say, hey, I've, got, I've, I've had cancer. I'm trusting Jesus. That was a good reminder for her. Fast forward uh, eight months up to August. Uh, she's having pain. She's having difficulties. They've moved to Lakeland from Orlando, uh, and they go back to the Moffitt Cancer Center uh, in Tampa where their new oncologist uh, was, and, and they ran some tests, and they looked and said, and they told her, said, Glenda, they said, uh, your, your cancer is metastasized. It's in your liver. It's in your lungs. It's in your uh, bone, and it's in your lymph nodes. They said, we're going to try an aggressive treatment before we do chemo. Uh, and they did that for just uh, a little while. And then the, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving uh, this year, uh, they, they spent all day at the hospital doing things. She had a lot of difficulty with, uh, with stuff. But they finally told them after that day, they said, uh, 
They said, Glenda, my brother is Scott. They told them that, say, hey, there's, there's nothing else we can do. There's multiple tumors uh, in, your, in your liver. The chemo is not working. It's very aggressive. There's nothing else uh, we can do. But Glenda and Scott, in that moment, they tr- they've been trusting God the whole process. But in that devastating news, there's nothing else we can do. Their trust and faith in God was stronger, I think, than it had ever been. And Scott called me. My brother calls me on Thanksgiving morning to tell me this news. That, hey, they told us last night there's nothing we can do. They're bringing hospice in uh, today uh, for that. But Scott's faith and trust during this process, Glenda's faith and hope, it never dwindled. It never dwindled because he, she had that personal relationship with God that was strong. She trusted him every step of the way, even with cancer diagnosis, the first battle with cancer, and even through this devastating last battle of cancer. She never lost hope. She never, her, her faith and trust in God never dwindled. How about you? Are you like that? Is your trust in Jesus so strong? You trust him as Lord and Savior, as provider, as sustainer, as healer. Have you put your trust and faith in God? John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. So that's where I was saying a while ago, the Greek word believes, believes in this book here. And see if it sounds familiar. It means trust, rely upon, and to have faith in. Whoever trusts in him should not perish. Whoever relies upon him should not perish. Whoever has faith in him shall not perish. God's gift of eternal life is trusting in Jesus, accepting his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, and trusting him as Lord and Savior. Are you at that point in your life? Have you ever done that? Have you ever trusted Christ as your Savior? Are you trying to lean on your own understanding, trying to figure out intellectually if this makes sense or that doesn't make sense or why this or why that? And you, you have knowledge about Jesus. You have knowledge about the Bible, but you haven't put your full trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. So I encourage you to do that. You can look on the next steps uh, form or talk to one of us after, but on the accepting Christ trust in Christ as Lord and Savior and and one of the pastors will contact you this week or if you want to stick around I'll stick around the front other pastors will too if you want to talk say I want I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus I want to be saved God has saved me I want to follow in obedience and trust him as my Lord and Savior do you truly do you truly trust him today father we're grateful for your great love to us father we're thankful that you are trustworthy, that we can put our whole trust, our whole faith in you. Father, thank you that you keep your word and that your promises are true. But Father, help us realize here today where our trust is. Have we fully depended on you? Have we fully trusted in you as our Lord and Savior? Is our faith in you, is it strong? Or has our faith been, been weakened and crumbled because of what's going on around in this world? Father, help us to acknowledge you and let this day be the day of salvation for those to trust in you for the very first time. For us in Christ's name we pray. Amen.